Hello and welcome to Real Time Strategy, a gaming podcast from PR Pros. I'm Sam Mosier, joined by my co-host as always, Caitlin Redman. And today we're thrilled to be joined by IGN Executive Editor Tom Marks. Tom, how are you doing today? Thanks so much for coming on the show. I'm good. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, Tom, uh, as of this episode's coming out on Wednesday the 31st, so we can still say that this month Tom was promoted to Executive Editor at IGN. Congrats, Tom. Uh, how many Thank years you. have you been at IGN now? Uh, six and a half, roughly. I'll be, it'll be seven in July. So we're very excited to talk about, you know, all things IGN this year, including reviews, digging into some very big examples already. It's hard to believe it's January. We can already talk about some huge games like Power World, Suicide Squad, Kill the Justice League, and Last of Us Part 2 Remastered. Uh, we also have a little bit of a segment at the end of the show, Tom, where we talk about pop culture. So we're excited to get your thoughts on the Avatar series coming to Netflix. Um, but before we dig into all of that, just a note for any listeners who checked out last week's episode. Of course, thank you again to Snowbike Mike, Mike Howard from Kind of Funny for coming on to talk about Xbox. Uh, that episode was recorded and published before Microsoft's gaming layoffs news came out. So if you listen to that and wondered why we didn't talk about it, that is why. And if you're wondering why we didn't promote it, it's because we didn't really feel like it after all that happened. So our house got, hearts go out to all of those affected. And uh, with that out of the way, just to make sure everybody's aware of what happened with last week's episode, we can now move on to some new topics for this week. Uh, Tom, when we have a new episode, a new guest on the show, we'd like to ask a get to know you question, a kind of a, a fun icebreaker. So you've helped at least acclimate me to some of my favorite indie games of all time. I, I emailed you about the podcast being like, I don't think I would have found one of my favorite games of all time, Celeste, without your 10 out of 10 review. So I thought it'd be fun going into 2024 or, you know, the 11 months ahead asking what are your most anticipated indie games for the rest of the year? Yeah, uh, I don't think any of them have release dates yet. <laughs> and they're all <laughs> games. They're all games that are like probably this year. But if the developers wanted to spend any amount of time working on them, I would wait, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, and one of them, I guess, I, I guess the, the biggest one is the one that I've been saying for three years now, which is Hollow Knight Silksong. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm, you I'm a yeah, huge Hollow Knight fan. And again, literally Team Cherry can take as much time as they want with that game, and I will I will I will wait happily. Um yeah, I, I cannot wait for that. I got to play it at E3 at the last E3 before that stopped being a thing. Wow. Um, in person, and it was a blast back then, and that was, you know four years ago five years ago at this point so i i can't wait to see what they've done with it um the other thing you I mean you mentioned celeste so i would be remiss to not mention earthblade mm. which i think currently has a 2024 release date uh from exok games or uh yeah i always forget if the the games is part of the acronym or not for that one um but yeah earthblade looks really really cool and uh that is another team that probably pretty much anything they put out i will be happy to play and happy to wait for. Yeah, those are two great examples. Towerfall, I mean, I, I mentioned Celeste, but yeah, Towerfall is another one of my favorite games of all time. So many hours lost playing to that one. So yeah. definitely looking forward to Earthblade, especially because, I mean, we've only got, we got the one look at it. I believe during Summer Game Fest last year was the first time we got a look at it. Uh, Tom, like based on your own speculation or hopes for what it is, 
what genre do you think it slots into? Because Towerfall and, and Celeste, well, both 2D games are, are, are wildly different gameplay and, you know, uh, design wise. Yeah, I mean, I think the from what we've seen, they've shown little glimpses here and there of it. Right. And it looks somewhat like, a, you know, this is an unfair thing to say because it's sort of reductive, but it looks sort of like Celeste and Towerfall mixed a little bit where you've got <laughs> that Celeste platforming, but then. At, you know, weaponry and or combat, that sort of thing. So I I'm hoping for I'm I'm hoping that they just like again, that team, I have so much faith in them. I they I just sort of trust what they want to do and where they want to find the fun and how they go. So they could tell me it was a Metroidvania and I'd be happy. They could tell me it was a fully <laughs> linear platformer, I'd be happy. I I really just I just I will play what they put in front of me. <laughs> I had to go to their website because I thought they had said it was a Metroidvania, but I must have just been like coming to that conclusion from <laughs> looking at the images because they just say a 2D explore action game in a seamlessly yeah. p- pixel art world. I'm like, oh, I yeah, they haven't actually clarified exactly what it is. But yeah, to me, it's like it's Celeste vibes, but Celeste is more of like a Metroidvania um, world style. Yeah, I, I'd say I think it's probably safe to assume it, it, it has you know, flavors of that at the very least, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, those are high on my list as well. Like you said, if they don't even, if they end up being 2025 or please, you know, forbid 2026 games, like I'll be there. Uh, Cannot wait. So yeah, definitely worth keeping an eye on those. And you can, you can tell I have a type, right? Between those two picks. (laughs) I I have something I like and I want more of it. (laughs) Yeah, another one like in that kind of vein that I'm definitely keeping my eye on is uh, Animal Well, uh, hmm. which I believe is a first time developer, but I know has gotten a lot of attention as of late because it's coming from uh, content creator Donkey's uh, publishing label Big Mode. So I know that made some some very positive waves and I believe PAX uh, West last August or September. So I'm definitely keeping my eye on that as another like 2d platformer exploration fan um to look out for yeah i I actually got to play a preview of animal well before donkey's publishing studio picked it up which is great that they did um this was a while ago and i i was really impressed when i when i I wrote about it on ign and it was it's that game is really cool at least the version i played because it's taking a lot of familiar platforming metroidvania e ideas and sort of just twisting them or not doing quite the expected thing right like instead of in the build i played instead of like a double jump you had like a bubble wand that you could blow a bubble and then jump on the bubbles to get mm. higher so there were like little things like that that were just like a little bit different um and yeah so i'm i'm excited that's another one i'm excited to see whatever the full version turns into for sure yeah, and the atmosphere of that one is... I feel like atmosphere is very hard to portray in trailers. It's often having to really just immerse yourself and play it yourself. But even just in the the one-minute, two-minute trailers we've gotten from that game, they've done a great job of portraying the atmosphere. It gives kind of that isolated, haunted vibe that you sometimes get in certain Metroid games. So I'm excited to explore kind of that haunted uh like ghost animal vibes that that i've gotten so far (laughs) uh but that's uh you know much look forward to for this year but to start off this year again tom talking about you getting promoted to executive editor tell us about what you were doing at ign leading up to now and how your job has now changed as executive editor yeah my my ign journey is a winding one 
Uh, I got hired in 2017. I came from, I was at PC Gamer for three years. Uh, and then I got hired as the PC editor at IGN in 2017. Uh, and that was back when we still were trying to do uh, platform verticals, right? So we had somebody that there was the Xbox editor. We had the Nintendo editor, the PC editor, right? And we were trying to do these uh, specific platforms sort of not like keeping them fully separate, like in the older days of IGN, but, you know, letting someone be in charge of that beat, basically. Um, and then within a year or around a year after that, that idea sort of went away. And we said, actually, let's not do platform verticals uh, for a number <laughs> of reasons. Uh, and then for about a year or two, I was kicking around as basically just like a general editor role where I would do features or op-eds or previews or reviews or whatever. Uh, and finally, since about 2019, I've basically been Dan Stapleton, who was our previous Game Reviews editor's right-hand man, uh, mm. where I would just you know edit or do reviews, assist him in whatever he needed. Um, and then he now has been promoted to our IGN's director of reviews. That was last year that that happened. Um, so he's overseeing reviews as a whole on IGN, and now I'm leading game reviews specifically. So we had Dan on the show in November of 2022, uh, right around, I mean, the phrase had been kicked around a long time, but it was one of the, you know, review seasons of that year. Uh, it was kind uh -huh. of a Ragnarok. He was coming off a, I want to say a hundred hours on Midnight Suns, um, <laughs> which was fun <laughs> to get right. him, to yeah, catch him on the tail end of that. Uh, so... Yeah. Coming up, like, you know, as Dan's right-hand man in reviews, now that you're, you know, he's overseeing reviews as a whole and you're managing the game side, what does that relationship look like? What perspective do you feel like you bring to reviews that complements or, you know, or sometimes contrasts against Dan's style? Yeah, I mean... Part of it is, the funny thing is, in recently, especially like last year, because I officially got the executive editor role in the beginning of January of this year, but I've been sort of moving into it towards the end of last year since I came back from paternity leave last year, kind of mid-late last year. Um, and the funny part of it was it's like, the role has almost shifted a little bit. Like Dan is my boss still, and he sort of has a higher, uh, you know, higher view on a lot of our plans. But... Um, <laughs> Last year in November and December, when it was that busy review season again in October, uh, I was leading the charge and he was assisting me rather than mm. the previous few years, which had been the other way around, where he would be like, okay, it's overwhelming. Like, there's way too much stuff going on right now. What do you need a hand in, right? So he's still there. We're still working together pretty closely. And um, he is in charge of, you know, guiding our overall vision of this sort of stuff where I'm in charge of the more day-to-day -day assigning, editing, that sort of thing. Um, and so it's definitely, we're still working really close and we still have a lot of ideas kind of sort of bouncing off of each other of, you know, well, should we review this game? What do we do about this game? Is this, you know, remaster? How do we handle that? That sort of stuff is still a lot of it's, it's still a collaborative process for sure. Love it. Well, and that leads us perfectly to, you know, we, I would recommend anybody curious about Game, game reviews, IGN's process to go check out that episode with Dan. It was a great conversation. Um, you know, he had so many years of experience as have you um, tackling this somewhat like naughty and, and to outsiders sometimes confusing process of, of what it is to review a game. Um, so we thought it'd be fun this week to take a look at a couple of recent examples and dissect them and, and, and pick your brain on how they came about and, and even what the process looks like going forward from there. So you mentioned 
how do we handle a remaster? Uh, Last of Us Two Part Two remastered. I probably will get that title wrong at least uh, <laughs> wrong at least once more uh, during this recording. Uh, you previewed back in December uh, on the yeah. No Return roguelite mode specifically, uh, but there is no. There was a performance review video that everyone should seek out, and we'll link to that in the description for that game. But there's no like proper classic, as you would say, IGN review for The Last of Us Part Two remastered. What was yeah. the decision making process there? So remasters is the it's super tr- like we've had the conversation about like what is a remaster versus a remake versus you know a re-release collection. How do we handle reviews for those things specifically? We've had this conversation a lot. Um, and I think with remasters specifically, where we ended up settling was like it does not make as much sense for us to do a full scored review of a remaster because in our perception, not as much has changed about those and we have a review, right? Mm -hmm. So if, if, you know, this is absolutely no disrespect to the work that has been done on last of us Two part two remastered specifically, right? Cause it looks great. And the no return mode is a lot of fun, but sort of in the reader service side of things, would somebody be served just as well reading our original review and then going to a performance review and learning what's changed, what's different, how it runs, how much better it looks kind of as a companion to that rather than, you know, reviews are time consuming and costly from a resources standpoint. So like we don't really want to redo all of that work if we're going to come to basically the same conclusion anyway, if that makes sense. Or, in the case of, you know, Jonathan Dornbush doesn't work at IGN anymore who reviewed Last of Us Part Two originally. Uh, and so what if we get somebody else to review it and they're like, actually, this game sucks, right? <laughs> and that's a totally valid opinion to have because reviews are opinions. And if someone can back it up with their words and argue that point well in their review, uh, then, you know, that's they're not wrong. You can't be wrong about your opinion. But it does cause this sort of confusion right of oh well you said this last time and now you're saying this about basically the same game you're saying something totally different right so it mm-hmm. it, it creates a lot of problems where the the problems it solves aren't really enough to like outweigh the problems it creates if that makes sense at least in our view yeah that yeah. totally makes sense go on caitlin oh i was gonna say yeah that makes sense um and you didn't mention mention it, but it's something that we were like also thinking and we see a lot of discussion around is like when reviews come out for remakes and a lot of times the discussion often revolves around the pricing of the game. And we see this more with like the community rather than journalists themselves. But is that something that you guys ever take into consideration where it's like a lot of people are wondering, we'll just use The Last of Us Part 2 remaster, for example. And it's like, okay, it's, it's a $70 you buy new or it's a $10 upgrade. Do you kind of approach that as like, okay, is it worth the $10 upgrade? How do you kind of approach that? Or is it basically what you were saying where the the questions it solves are less than the problems it creates? Yeah. Well, price in general is just a really tricky thing to talk about in reviews because there are people like I've seen comments for years of people being like, my rating system is price of game divided by number of hours 
uh, or like number of hours divided by price of game, right? So like if they can get 100 hours out of a $10 game, that is an objectively better game in this reader's mind than a five-hour game that is $50, right? Like that's just how they think about it. And we don't like tying price to review scores and reviews if we can help it. Like obviously sometimes it 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 is relevant, right? Like if a game is... 20 minutes long and it's $80 that does sometimes seem like that you know it doesn't devalue maybe that's what the artist wanted to make with this game but it does seem like something that may be more relevant to a reader but the problem with tying price to a review too much or looking at like well does this upgrade is this upgrade worth the $10 sort of thing is what if it goes on sale does the price or does the score go up or Mm -hmm. what if it becomes free on game pass is it a 10 out of 10 just because it costs zero dollars right like if you tie it to to price to score it it sort of like when the price changes it it creates all these questions that we then haven't answered and the review would then have to change or it wouldn't be relevant anymore and the other part of that is also just like a hundred dollars to one person is you know a week's pay and to another person it is like something they could drop on the ground and walk away from right and that means that their impression of like the cost of something is going to drastically change you know, compared to somebody else's, if you're if you're also tying cost into it like that, uh, so it's I think price is something we try to try to not tie into our evaluation of a thing because you can just say, here's how I feel about this thing without you know linking it right to that mm-hmm. to that price. I it's been long enough that I, I you know sorry to whoever's. Uh, you know, editorial this was. It wasn't on IGN, but they were they were arguing in the age of it was around Starfield coming out of you know reviews because of you know Game Pass has only become more popular, especially as you know Microsoft keeps putting out its um, first party titles day and date on the service. That you know are reviews necessarily there to help you make your your wallet decisions? It's more so about helping you make your time decisions, what's worth giving Hmm. your time because there's so much entertainment coming out, not just, you know, as, um, you know, Netflix says, it's, it's not just theaters competing for our business. It's Fortnite. So it's, you know, reviews are kind of in the same way. It's like, how do we, you know, how should we ought to give our time? Is that, I'm just out of curiosity. Do you kind of see that as being the service of reviews or well as well, or what's your perspective on what their service is to IGN's readers? Yeah, I mean, to the to the readers, it's a review is a bunch of different things, right? And I think you touched on some of it for sure. Like, at the end of the day, a review is a piece of buying advice in in sort of like the the most distilled sense of it. And whether you value time or money higher is sort of up to you. But like, that's that's basically what it is: is you're telling somebody, is this thing worth their time or money? Um, there are other places who completely validly will treat reviews more like art criticism, right? Or we'll go into sort of that side of it much more deeply. We like to think we can try to, you know, you can do both, right? But at the end of the day, to our readers, like we are trying to tell them, here's how we felt about this thing, how about this game or movie or TV show or whatever. And you use that to decide whether you want to spend your time and money on it. And I think you're definitely right that like so much stuff is coming out nowadays that, and you know, the, there's the controversy of like games going up to $70, but also there's never been more like $30 and less great games on Steam coming out 
all the time. So it, games are more expensive than they've ever been, but they're also in some sense cheaper. And so you really just have to, it, it is it is really what you play and what you choose to spend your time on is, I think is a big part of it. Especially as developers continue to try to make games be life games where you're mm-hmm. playing for years after they come out and they're not just one and done, right? And you can't, you don't have, like I was, I played a ton of League of Legends for a long time and I didn't really play much else while I was doing that, right? So you don't have time for a lot of those games in your life. Yeah. <laughs> so when then it comes to something like No Return in The Last of Us Part Two Remastered, I guess first off, starting with, you know, you previewed it. Have you given it much time since it's released? Do you, would you still recommend it to fans of Part 2 on PS4 who haven't made the, up, you know, the $10 upgrade to the PS5 version? Uh, I have not gone back and played it yet, actually, uh, since release and since that preview. I So I mentioned this. I had a kid seven months ago, my first kid, and I have only just started transitioning in the last month or so back to like playing <laughs> games recreationally consistently. <laughs> Fair. Uh, it, was a, it was a long period of, of when you get to the end of the night and she's asleep, I just like want to not do anything with my brain. <laughs> So I, I have I missed that I missed a bunch of big things from last year that I'm still waiting to go back to actually so I'm I, w- I had a little bit of a gap in the last half of 2023. <laughs> no, I well, can't even imagine what that backlog looks like. Yeah. yeah well, congrats, congrats on the yes. on the baby Thank though. You. Thank That's you. That's exciting. <laughs> That's much much cooler than a backlog. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Who cares about the backlog at this point? Yeah, exactly. We yeah. we have she, to be our... clear. It, it was worth it. It's it's a good thing. I'm not complaining. <laughs> our company was recently talking about our own like backlogs, and everyone was listing theirs. And I was like, I I'm not even going to list anything. I was like, because my backlog, there's always going to be one, and it's always going to be insanely long. And so I'm just like. I'm taking on the mentality of a backlog does not exist and I don't have one (laughs) because for my own mental stability, I just need to ignore it and move on because otherwise I'll drive myself crazy with just not being able to play games, especially when I'm like, I'm replaying Hades again and I will play The Last of Us Part 2 again now that I have the PS5 upgrade and I'm really loving Prince of Persia and putting a bunch of hours in that and I'm like, I... I'm just putting a blind my blinders on to all the other games that I've been needing to play. Biggest one being Final Fantasy VII. We'll talk about it another time. <laughs> <laughs> but to me, I'm like, no, backlogs no longer exist in 2024. They're gone. <laughs> That's reasonable. It's totally reasonable. It's a good resolution to have. Thanks. With so with no return, then um, you know. Was there ever conversation about reviewing that individually? Like what? So when the decision then is that we're not going to do a standalone review of The Last of Us Part Two Remastered, then what does the conversation look like there? Um, and like whether something's a feature or an impressions piece, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I mean that's an interesting question. I don't think we ever considered uh, reviewing No Return on its own specifically, because generally when we do stuff like that, we want the that thing to be standalone right or purchasable and kind of like to be able to live on its own and while you can upgrade into getting it for ten dollars i think that you know you still need to have owned the ps4 version Mm -hmm. so it feels sort of linked in that way um i think probably you know 
it's an interesting question of like, well, does that change the experience substantially enough? Does that change the package substantially enough? And, you know, I I don't think that there's, it's, I'm not going to take like a hard line to be like, this is absolutely, it does not. Right. And that's why we didn't review it. Right. Like, I think you could make the argument that, yeah, you know, it's a big thing and deserves some sort of criticism, but sort of like you alluded to, um, it doesn't always have to be a review, right? Like we can cover that in other ways on IGN, either through news or features or, you know, mentioned in the performance review or whatever that is that like, it doesn't always have to be a scored full review for IGN to have an opinion on it and kind of pass judgment in some way, I think. Yeah, that makes sense to me. And again, it's about what's most valuable to the readers. And like you said, if, if no matter which way you slice it, getting no return is either going to like require having already spent, 60 or whatever it was on sale between now and you know between 2020 and now or spending the full 70 dollars on the um you know the ps5 SKU. so that makes sense and and you know we like getting nerdy here with with the coverage decisions and stuff so thanks for breaking that down for us yeah totally you mentioned you know there being more games than ever, um, and you specifically listed the $30 price point, which I don't know whether is intentional or not, because, of course, the $30 uh, game on Steam at the moment is Power World. Uh, oh, which did, did I accidentally segue? I'm sorry. I, I, I did not <laughs> it was realize. perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Accidental segues are the best. <laughs> um, now, of course, I've known about this game since, as you know, the gaming internet culture has since it was shown at a i believe a summer game fest a couple years ago but it's early access launch kind of snuck up on me at least admittedly what did the you know ign editorial room look like when it was you know pretty soon announced that this would be out within a week and um you know did it become a priority or was it not until the virality of its launch was so clear that you know coverage plans came into fruition well, so coverage plans definitely, I can't speak for all our departments, but expanded after it exploded. That's for sure. Because I don't think anyone in the world expected it to be as large as it has become, right? Yeah. As popular as it has become. Uh, but we had this one, Travis Northup reviewed this game for us. We had it assigned to him early, mid-December. Okay. Um, we, we knew, that, and that's early for us, right? Like that's, we knew that it was coming in January generally, or that was what they had said was January generally. And then we didn't get an actual date until early mid January. Um, but we, we knew Travis has reviewed survival games for us before he's reviewed shooting games for us before he's a Pokemon fan. He also has, um, a history with reviewing to put it politely, sort of janky looking games for us. <laughs> um, you know, like I, there was an air of that before this game came out, right? That it was sort of like what, like your Pokemon with guns was like a very weird sort of thing. Um, and so it seemed like a great fit for him. And we said, hey, would you want to do this early next year, whenever it happens to be? And he said, absolutely. And so that one was really, really set. Like we had an er- we had an early access, a, a review in progress of this game up at Embargo. Right. Which is before it exploded. So this wasn't like the review itself was not any sort of trend chasing beyond the trends we had already seen. Um, And then but he only got like I think he only had was able to play like 16 hours. I think we got access to the game like three, four days, something like that before the review embargo went up. Um, 
So he didn't have a ton of time to play with it. And we weren't going to say, you know, see all of this, what this game has to offer in three days and then write a review. That's not fair to him or the game. Um, And so we did a review in progress of it at first. And then uh, the following week, we did a full review for the PC version. And then a few days later did a separate review specifically for the Xbox and PC Microsoft store on PC version, which is the version you get through game pass because the developers even said themselves that this was like an older version of the game by a few builds because of like certification was taking a long time or uh, I'm paraphrasing, but it was something along those lines. So that version of the game is actually like older and buggier and a little bit more of a mess. And so we felt we needed to sort of mention that to folk because again, that's the game pass version. So it's selling like hotcakes on steam, but that is also the version that a lot of people are going to be playing. Yeah. I was curious. um, That's interesting about, you know, as we know, as as PR people, you know, uh, the, the 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 known issues, the known bugs list is often included yeah. in review guides. Um, so I didn't know whether the the PC versus you know Xbox Game Pass version uh, discrepancy was clarified, or if that was something that Travis discovered during the review process that then became a you know an editorial decision of oh we should you know offer two different reviews because they're somewhat at least markedly different experiences. Yeah, so so he had a PC. He had the PC version first. He had the PC version is what we got code for, and then when the game officially launched, uh, he played the Xbox version version through Game Pass. Um, and so that was when I think he spent the weekend playing both, and then he came back to us on Monday and was like, "Hey, these are pretty different experiences. We might want to look at scoring them differently, or at least doing something around that." Um, and we, you know, we follow the lead of our reviewers in terms of like, obviously we push them to justify the things that they're saying. We, we want to make sure the arguments are strong, but like if, if a reviewer comes to us and says, Hey, I think these are different enough that we should think about this, then we will, we'll consider it for sure. And it's not something we have to do very often. Um, more recently than anything, we've been doing that for switch ports, Mm. Um, so we <laughs> scored the switch port of Mortal Kombat one differently. There was another game. I can't, I'm totally blanking on it right now, but there was another game recently that we scored the switch port of that, uh, kind of substantially lower because it was just not quite, it was just, wasn't functioning the same way. Right. Um, a pretty big example of this, the biggest previous example of this was cyberpunk 2077, where mm. I put out my piece, my review, uh, and then we hadn't, ha- we didn't have access to the the past gen console or any of the console versions, but any of the past gen console versions specifically either. And I'd played on PC where I had like a buggy experience, but it was fine. And then we got our hands on Xbox and PlayStation Four versions, and it was like we ha- like had to score it differently, right? And that was a situation where I scored it on PC a nine, and then we scored it on the past gen consoles as like a four. Whereas this was just like a a small dip where it went from an eight on PC to a seven on the Microsoft store and uh, Xbox version of it. So it wasn't like a huge drop, but it was like, it felt like good reader service to be like, Hey, if you're playing this game through game pass, it is like, you're going to need to expect these things because it's just not quite as smooth. Yeah. It is a a walking of that line that you outlined earlier of being both, you know, arts critique of you know what is this thing accomplishing and trying to say but also like a true service of i remember when the the mortal kombat one switch clips started going viral on social media and 
it had not being made clear up to that point that it would run that way. So, and then the IGN review right. was very shortly thereafter available and made it clear that like, yeah, if you're looking to get this game, this is probably not the system you want to be buying it on. Um, I remember Dan's, uh, I, I think the first example, at least like becoming cognizant of this, uh, you know, reading IGN for years now was, it was Prey back in 2017. So I remember the PC version, I think eight Dan's save, and uh like late in the game i might have to look up to exactly clarify but i remember like the console version performed did not have that issue and that just completely ruined the game experience for him on pc so fair to give it a different review yeah that that's a really that's one that come like kind of haunt stan to this day in Mm. terms of that like i i think he handled that situation as best as he could it was basically what yeah he he hit a game breaking bug and tried to do everything he could with talking with, you know, Bethesda about how to resolve it. And I wasn't there at the time. I've heard, only heard this secondhand from him, but like trying to figure it out and couldn't resolve it. And so he literally could not finish the game. And so he had to give it a score as sort of representative of that. And then when they fixed the bug, uh, he updated the score and brought it back up because then suddenly he could like the game as much as he was liking it or score the game as much as he was liking it. Right. It's, mm-hmm. it's a tough situation with that. Um, Another thing, another time we've done this is the the switch port of FIFA, like mm. five years in a row or like four years in a row was literally like on. If you looked at the the switch page, like store page for it, was like this is the same version of FIFA as last year, with no gameplay changes and just new like team kits and players basically. And that's and they were very upfront about it. They even called it the Legacy Edition, but mm. we scored that differently from the normal version of fifa every single year because it was a different version of the game and it just was not representative right so it's not something we do Uh, ironically it's something ign used to always do they used to always score the games on every platform it was available on but that's just not realistic anymore so it's not a thing we do unless the situation really calls for it yeah yeah i i never would have i didn't think about that for pal world because like you said it's I feel like it's not as common anymore and especially like yeah. when we're launching games like most of the time if it's like PC and console they're very evenly matched um or like a developer oftentimes if if it's like the Xbox they can't get um approvals a lot of times they wait to launch on that console until the current version that's also out on another platform matches the the console version and gets approved it's I, I didn't know that they had made the choice to launch it just with a an older version, but maybe in this case that was the right choice just because of the viral aspect of Pal World, and they know that more people are going to continue playing it, even if it's not the most up to date version. But yeah, it's I, that's something that I feel like I I don't pay enough attention to when I'm looking at reviews. And don't think about as often. Yeah, and if they update the game, right? If they if because that's I think it was a similar situation, right? Where they just didn't wait, like you said, and they they had this sort of older build of the game available, so that's what they put out. And if they are yeah. able to get through certification and update it, and then we'll update our review, like we'll put a note in the review saying, "Hey, these this review is not relevant anymore because these games are these versions are now at parity," and so. Yeah. Go read our 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 PC review because it's now relevant to both, right? And yeah. whenever that happens, we're happy to do it. It's just like it's not a thing we really want to wait on because 
if they can't tell us when it's going to happen and we don't know, then we're waiting weeks for, you know, or months or whatever it's going to take an undetermined amount of time. And this is the version people are playing right now. Yeah. There, this isn't like necessarily the same, but another instance where like you guys may update reviews is like, so pal world for instance is in early access. And I know the devs have said it will be in early access for at least a year. So thinking like if the full version comes out next year, is that something you guys will look at reviewing again? Does it just mean just like updating the current review, depending on if like if a ton has changed since the early access review? Also thinking just like Hades 2 will come out in early access. And since the first yeah. game was such a success, I know a lot of people will probably be looking for reviews for that as well. Yeah. So when we do an early access review, we almost always do it with the expectation that we will do a 1.0 review as well. Um, it's not necessarily something we like absolutely hard commit to because something sometimes that, you know, by the time you get to the 1.0, sometimes a game will never come to 1.0. By the time you get there, no one is playing it anymore. And the 1.0 is just sort of like kicking it out the door to get it like a stamp on it. And it just wouldn't be relevant to people, Right. Or there are sort of corner situations like that. But generally, we do an early access review because, like you said, like people want they want to know now, right? you can you can say, well, the game's not finished and it's going to change and it's going to get better. But like we're very clear about we say early access review in the headline, and we say, so far, this is how it's feeling. Obviously, hopefully this might change. They've said they're gonna we mention if the devs have said, you know, we're not going to, like, if there's only, this is totally making this up, but, like, if there's only two bosses in a game and we're like, well, there's just not enough bosses, we're not going to, like, lambast them for that if the devs are like, yeah, there are more bosses coming, right? Like, that's yeah. unfair <laughs> to sort of to sort of use that as a cudgel when we know it's something that's part of early access. Um, but that's when people are playing the game, and that's when people are talking about the game. And it would be, like, if we if we waited till 1.0 to review pal world, right? No, like no, none of the people, the, the 9 million <laughs> people or whatever it is, aren't waiting till 1.0 to play this game. Right. They, they want an opinion on whether they should be buying it and hearing what it's like now, because that's when people are talking about it. And so it wouldn't make it just like, we had this really long debate for a long time of like, do we do early access games? Do we wait? And Dan sort of led the charge and like, you know what, this is what people are talking about this game at launch. And this is what's being sold as a product that people can spend money on. So it's not immune from criticism just because it's not done. Right? Yeah. Yeah, we, we also like, in this same vein, have this discussion a lot of times just internally or with clients of like, and I'm of the mindset that like an early access launch is launch. Like right. you are you are launching a product that you people are purchasing or they're like writing reviews on or in other types of articles and everyone's talking about it as if it's this like it's a, a fully fledged game that you can go out and buy and play and play with your friends or by yourself. So to us it's like no early an early access launch is launch. And then you're the official launch that's just your that's just a big patch really um and every every game is different sometimes yes you're like okay you can treat an early access like an early access but for the most part it's we're treating it as like early access is launched for a game and i think a lot of people once 
have that mindset, like you approach games differently um, and they're worthy for reviews because the developer thinks it's worthy to put out into the world and for people to buy it at that point. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, to that end too, like we, we do want to go back and talk about like Baldur's Gate three is a really good example of like, we did an early access review of that game when it Mm -hmm. first launched and like that review did fine. And I think it did well. Right. But it wasn't like what it was at launch where it became this (laughs) phenomenon, right. Where, and then we did a 1.0 review for it then as well. Um, So I think that there's, you know, early access is so complicated. People use it in so many different ways, but like if a thing is out, then it's sort of out and it's not immune to criticism, like I said. And that doesn't mean we're going to, you know, bury our head in in the sand if it gets better by 1.0. We're going to go back and take a look at it again. But also we've literally had times where we reviewed a game in early access and then when the 1.0 launch comes out, the score is lower, right? Mm. Because it just didn't go the way people were hoping it would, which happens. Game development is impossibly hard, right? So it's it's not like we take joy in those moments, but it is like it, it, it can go either way in terms of like people saying you're not giving it a fair shake at early access launch is like, well, you know, who knows what's going to happen by the time it hit 1. 0, hits 1.0. Yeah. No, thank you for explaining that. And that's good to know because like Caitlin said, I mean, ever increasingly as we have games that, as you noted earlier, are trying to be living or always, you know, forever games as other people's coin them. Uh, the early yeah. access launch makes a lot of sense in a lot of ways because it's it's getting it out there to a wide swath of audiences and really stress testing it to make it, um, you know, the thing they want the 1.0 vision to be. But at the same time, like you said, putting it on sale puts it up for criticism and allows people to make a justification or argument on whether it's worth purchasing or not and this has been fun i mean like again just so weird that this start of the year has had so many different examples to really interestingly pull apart from a review perspective an early access game that's the biggest hit of the year um so far a remaster of the biggest game of 2020 or at least one of them and now um now, Tom, of course, we know the situation's evolving, so you know you can say <laughs> however much you can or can't at this time. But we have a game that IGN does not have review codes for at this time, Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League. It's out Friday of this week. Um, of course, I mean, let me know, Tom, if you disagree, but at least from a c- consumer, like I think in, in, from an IGN perspective, I'm sure, would love just to have a review ready. It's the score. You don't have to like worry about being halfway through your thoughts but now that the game, you know, it's launching into, uh, you know, an early access period for those who paid for the deluxe version, um, does what happens now? What does the IGN conversation look like? Do you check it out now? Do you wait for the full thing to launch Friday for a full review? Do you put out day three impressions? I'm listening out a lot of ideas, but I'm sure that's like what the conversations look like. Yeah, no, I mean, I think probably what we'll have. So... Our reviewer is in the UK. Uh, Simon Cardi is uh, is reviewing this game, um, and will have access to it at midnight his time. So within two hours, I think, or something, two or three hours, he'll be playing the game. Uh, bought his own copy and is going to you know reimburse it or whatever for us. So IGN is buying the copies this time, and it's like, you know, we'll probably try to get impressions of, probably use the camp the playbook not to 
overly compare these games because I think, you know, that's not necessary, but like probably use a similar playbook to what I did for when I reviewed Marvel's Avengers, where I had a review in progress. I beat the campaign as quickly as I could, had a review without, you know, rushing, uh, have a review in progress up of that, play some of the, you know, multiplayer stuff. We don't know exactly the structure of the game, but then get a review in progress impressions is kind of update with that and then get through that and do a final review somewhere in that sort of wheelhouse. But we'll definitely be trying to get impressions up as soon as we can this week to kind of guide people um, and then keeping them posted as we make progress whenever we think there's sort of an important milestone that the reviewer has hit or their opinions have shifted in some way, that sort of thing. Um, but it's, it's a little bit playing it by ear when you're, when you're flying by the seat of your pants a little bit, you know, with, with uh, play, starting when everyone else does. One thing I will say of one thing you said, uh, <laughs> anytime it drives us crazy in any time, a game is framed as having an early access period like this because mm-hmm. as far as we consider it today <laughs> is launch day right or or if you want to be generous about it tomorrow because it's midnight right but like it launches at 9 p.m. tonight on pacific time right so it's like that's when the game's out the only difference is that it costs for 30 more dollars to play it now right but somebody could any day between now and its official release date, spend money to get a product and start playing it in full, right? That so it's out. Like that's that's how we yeah. consider it. Is it's out? And and sometimes and I'm not not you know lumping all of these early access periods in on one thing because sometimes they're you know it's only ten hours of the game or it's only up to a certain mission or something like that. And that's different. That's like you get a taste of the game and then you you know the full thing will launch later. But at this point with a game like this, it's just out if you can spend money on it to play it. It doesn't matter if that's slightly more expensive to do so in in terms of like it being open for evaluation. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I'm not a huge fan of uh being able to just spend more money and get access to a game before everyone else. I also don't even know if all those people have access. I before I jumped in here, I saw that they were having server issues. So yeah, any live aspect of the game, like even the people who paid more can't get into the game right now. Part of me wonders if that's why reviews are kind of being held, if there's just they're figuring out some of the live aspects of the game and trying to work out bugs before launch day and kind of want reviews to be of like maybe after that day one patch i know it's so easy for and i and i get it and i sometimes fall victim to this too where everyone's like really worried that if a if review codes aren't being sent out ahead of time everyone's like oh the game must be terrible or like really bad that's not always the case there are many many reasons why review codes might not be sent out um it is very fair though for your outlet or any outlets like IGN to put out a statement of like, hey, we don't have review codes. We're not getting them. So there's not going to be a review right before the game launches or day of. Because um, I know a lot of people, they might go to IGN for all of their game reviews. And if they're not seeing this game, are going to wonder why. I appreciate the being frank and the statements. But for a lot of people listening and out there, I just want them to remember it doesn't mean that the game is going to be bad. Um, yeah. Well, well, so two things there. Definitely, like, I, I think people sometimes forget 
people who are very clued into games that like IGN's audience is extremely broad and not everyone is following the like the drama around whatever game. So yeah. it doesn't matter to the person who's just checking IGN for a review. Like they don't know everything that happened around it. They just don't see a review from the game and they don't know why. So we like putting out statements like that just to be like, hey, here's the situation. We didn't get it early. We'll have one as soon as we can, right? It's, not, it's, it's really just a PSA for those people more than anything else. Um, but then, yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you. I am one of the biggest proponents of, yes, it is sometimes worrying when code arrives very late. And obviously it is frustrating from a like, us producing our content yeah. perspective but but beyond that like it does not always mean disaster it, there are a ton of reasons for it i i think that if they were having server troubles or really wanted the servers to be open with a full population rather than you know just a reviewer population i think that's totally justified that hasn't been what they've specifically told us of why we didn't get code but like if that was one of the reasons behind the scenes i get it Right. Like that, that makes total sense. Um, but it, it is, yeah, it's not always this, this sort of like huge red flag that this is going to 100% guarantee disaster. And I think people do treat it like that. And there's precedent for why you might want to, but it's not, it's not like guaranteed, right? We're still going into this with a fully open mind and we'll just, mm -hmm. our reviewer will play the game and see how they like it. Right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we know from behind the scenes, like, uh, and I'm sure you do too, from being in conversation with devs and publishers about these review codes is like a totally fine and, and great game can like have a long certification period or just have one little weird thing that holds up certification. All of a sudden review codes aren't available until until it's too late. And so, um, I mean, I, I grew up, you know, reading, like really appreciating these articles. So, you know, like you said, as a service, they're really appreciated. I remember like a game I'd be really excited for coming out and I'd, I'd Google search when I'd get home from school that day, IGN review game title X, and I wouldn't see it, but I would find the article about why isn't there a review available. So um, I think it is a good reminder as much as like people like us are online, that there are people who aren't as online as we are who need uh, just a quick search and, and, and reminder about where certain coverage or review might be. Yeah. So on the note of those audiences and the, the swaths of people that IGN um, service and check out the site, uh, I guess on the probably the more hardcore side, I am a bit curious, Tom, I know you and Dan recently did uh, what I had not seen before, an annual AMA on Reddit uh, about IGN game reviews. Uh, you know, how long has this been going? And in the case of this year, what did you all learn? So it's it's coming back. It has it Dan did it I think in like from 2014, 2015 through 2017, 18, okay. somewhere around there. So he did it for like four or five years in a row. I think four years. Um and then took a very long pause. You know, it's been like six or seven years since he we did the last one. And um ironically we so we get last year we gave the day before we did our review mm. of that and gave it a one and it was the first one we'd given in like a decade um and that got posted onto our games and so i just went in there on my reddit account my personal reddit account and just said hey i'm tom i you know like i edited this review if anybody has any questions just like this is a weird one right it's a the first yeah. one we've given in a decade just let me know what 
if you want to know how or why this happened or whatever. Um, and that ended up being like a really positive experience of just like people very genuinely curious about the process and all this stuff. So I said to Dan, like, Hey, we should bring back the annual AMA and we should just do this, commit to this more regularly because I think it, you know, IGN is huge and it's really easy for corporations as big as us to be faceless. And it's really easy to assign, uh, assumptions to faceless things. And so, one of the reasons we did this is because we we want to show that like we're not hiding anything. Like we are trying to be as transparent as possible. I was in that AMA for like all the way through the end of the next day answering any questions as they came up that weren't like duplicates or very clearly troll questions, right? And like we tried to be as open and honest. We tried to be as thoughtful with our questions our answers as possible because we just don't like we think about reviews a lot. We talk about this stuff a lot. We talk about our process a lot and people don't get to see that, but it doesn't mean it doesn't happen. And it doesn't mean that there's not thought put into all of these decisions that we make. Um, so it just was like, it was really great to be able to open up the doors again and, and just say, Hey people, like, what do you not, what misconceptions do you have? What do you want to know about? What do you, you know, not understand about how we do things and just sort of talk with people. Yeah, I love that. And that sort of transparency I know Dan was also doing with his column last year, yeah. breaking down some of the review process in this year's, you know, AMA. Uh, what question, you know, what were the the main themes? Were there any questions that particularly surprised you? Um, One of the things that we got a lot that was I was maybe surprised by the frequency of is people being like, you should have multiple opinions or multiple mm. voices in a review you should have either do what uh oh my god i'm blanking on the name now the japanese game reviewer that has four they do on a 40 point scale famitsu yeah yes i believe so I think, uh they yeah maybe maybe i'm wrong about that but they um you can confirm while, while i'm talking they, <laughs> they do four reviewers and then their scale is 40 points and each reviewer does 10 out of 10 or 10 points and then the total is that right um so there's people bring up that a lot as like an example of like, you know, why don't you do this? Or like, why don't you have multiple people play through a game and then average the score? Or why don't you, you know, have an aside with somebody else say like, I actually didn't like this thing that the reviewer liked as much, which I think are all really good ideas. Um, Dan, as you mentioned, has a column where he actually already wrote about this, right? He wrote about the like question of like, why don't you have as many people play the game as you can and then average the score or whatever, where he dug into why we like, you know, having a single voice on a review um, kind of editorially, you know, it's their opinion. We don't want people compromising each other's to like average a score is kind of weird because if someone hates a game and someone loves a game, is it really a six, right? You know, mm -hmm. it's like very sort of like, I don't know if that's necessarily representative of, of, what the score system is supposed to be. The score system is not math necessarily. Um, but also, you know, reviews just take a ton of time and resources. And so to have people, especially on like really long ones, like the idea of having multiple people review Baldur's Gate three is like insane, right? <laughs> like you're, you're just that nobody in the world has the budget for that. Um, and so, yeah, it, it was, it was an interesting thing. The thing, the thing I always try to take, when something like that comes up consistently is like, okay, 
we like doing single voices for this such and such reason. We, you know, have our reasons of why we can't always do this because of the resources, but like, what are people actually saying here? Like, what is the desire here behind the specific requests that don't make sense for IGN necessarily? And like, I think that is interesting to me of like, okay, well, people want to see more kind of about like, you know, more people, maybe not necessarily more voices, but like they want a more sort of complete picture from a review rather than just a single score maybe, right? And like, that doesn't mean we have any immediate plans of like how we're going to change stuff, but it's like, whenever I see something consistent like that, I try to start thinking about like the, the, the thought behind it or the sentiment behind it more than just also the specific words people are saying, if that makes sense. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And it, confirming it is Famitsu that does the uh, four people giving it a, a 10 point scale and they add that up. Um, so that's Which, why, like, like the to be clear, n- no disrespect to them for doing that. If that system works for them and that's what they're known for, I, I do not begrudge them in the slightest. Right. But like, it's just not necessarily what IGN wants to be doing. Oh, fair. And even just thinking like, like you said, logistically, like that's, I mean, I, of course, uh, am not a subscriber to Famitsu, so maybe there are a lot of games reviewed, but, you know, whether there are a game, a lot of games reviewed, um, but I think probably what's more likely is if four reviewers are all dedicated to certain games so they can get that 40 point, you know, score scale, uh, probably means like a lot of games are not checked out because, you know, all of their resources are focused on a few that all four of them can play. So um, that's another thing to consider. But I, I think that issue you just highlighted of, people seeking out other voices or at least different perspectives or getting a bit more of a purview into how the sausage gets made on a review is why video game podcasts and, and YouTube discussion shows, et cetera, have become so popular. That's why I sought out, you know, beyond unlocked GameScoop, NBC still listen to them is to like, sure. even if only one person on that show um, had a review code and only, you know, could play it in the review, review period. It is fun to get that Q&A style of other people like me that are curious in this thing. What questions are they asking that's likely I'm wondering too uh, about what this game experiences that might just not cover that come up naturally during a written review or video one at that. Yeah. So the other thing I the other thing I learned from that Reddit AMA is that people are still really hung up on IGN's review of God Hand. (laughs) Don't know why after like a decade and a half or something people are still real like no one who works at i like maybe <laughs> one person who works at IGN even knows that reviewer any like not is not like i didn't i didn't have anything to do with the god hand review people like i'm sorry i cannot give any insight on god hand <laughs> that's so I'm interesting wondering, it was posted in 2006 and updated in 2012 yeah. why was it updated six years uh, later there so that's probably just like a formatting thing. We've we've changed oh, okay. the way the site looks a lot and things break occasionally and we don't go back and check every single article we've ever published. So occasionally we'll like pull up a thing and be like, oh, this is just like has HTML code in it or whatever yeah. and like yeah. clean something up. But that's okay. I was, probably I was just expecting that. a please stop sending me hate mail. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I think people didn't like that they reviewed that game so poorly because I think it was like a three, right? It was three like out of three. ten. Okay. Yeah, yeah and, and there are just some people who have not let it go. <laughs> That's all I learned. I literally, so I'm like, I might sound like I'm exaggerating. We got at least six comments that were like, <laughs> what, do you stand by the God hand review? And it's like, what? 
I don't know. Like, You're like, yes, when I was sworn into my new position, I had to say, <laughs> yeah. I, Tom Marks, stand yeah. by the God Hand review. Oh, that was someone's <laughs> opinion back then. And you know what? I, I, I can't say, I can't say, you know? <laughs> Everybody has their God hand. I remember mine for a long time was, I think, Fran Mirabella 7.9 Mario Kart Double Dash review, which any time, like a point nine always feels mean. (laughs) Like, so close. (laughs) That's another, uh, that's another one that comes up a lot. Yeah. It's the 7.9 for Mario Kart. (laughs) I'm very glad we don't have decimals anymore. I will say that much. Because because it lets people... It lets people read into them like that. And you're just like, it's again, it's scores are not math and they shouldn't be that precise. We've come a long way. I also remember, I mean, maybe during the God Hand era, this was also when, and a lot of sites were this way. They had scores for each, like graphic, a graphical score, a sound score. Right. Um, maybe even like, I know Game Informer had a replay value section for a long time. And then somehow like the score would be like an average ish of those factors, but not quite. So like, yeah. glad those are gone too. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I was looking for my own God hand, but IGN <laughs> gave twilight princess a 9.5 out of 10. So we're all good. <laughs> <laughs> what were you going to say, Tom, about the, the, oh, the individual graphic scores or whatever? I, well, I actually kind of like, I like a little bit of that nuance. I miss a little bit of like breaking things up by category a little bit. But again, it does, like you said, it implies (laughs) that there's a science to scoring and reviewing that there is not, right? Like this Mm -hmm. is, uh, criticism is not math and it's not sort of like calculated in a way like that. And and I, I fully understand why people got rid of that. And I think it is for the better. Um, but I also do understand, like, every time somebody asks us to remove scores, I do understand the argument for, like, the words are the most important part. And it's frustrating when somebody just mm-hmm. looks at the score and doesn't consider the words that are behind it or explain it. But also, I, as a game player and reader of reviews, my entire life have appreciated being able to just look at a score and get a sort of quick sense of what somebody thought. So like, I, I understand and I, I do still think there's a value in those sort of summaries to some extent. It's just a, how granular do you go is is maybe the question. And I do think that, you know, a <laughs> hundred point scale is probably too granular. Yeah, I, <laughs> I am. Um, I don't know if I'm a component for or against like the, the number scale, but I will say I'm, more appreciate like a 10 point scale than like five is just so hard because you get to like three out of five and you're like you could have either loved that or hated it but still gave it three because you're like technically it it all worked out i feel like a 10 point scale there's there's more a little bit more nuance 100 is way too much but a 10 you can you get a better sense of what the reviewer thought of the game if you're just going Mm. to look at at scores but i i personally tend to just read the articles and try to ignore number scores because i know it's all subjective and a lot of times they could be right on the mark or a little bit uh there's a word that i'm that's not coming to my brain right now but influence in the wrong direction Mm. 
Tom, uh, whether it's from the AMA or something else, uh, you know, having started the year officially, I know you had been doing these kind of duties for a while as executive editor of reviews. Do you have any goals or um, big things you want to accomplish with IGN reviews this year, whether they're like any specific projects or more just directionally um, or editorially ethos that you apply across the board? Um. Generally, I think that there there are a few things that we're looking towards, right? Like the conversation we had about early access reviews is, mm-hmm. is sort of leaning towards a little bit what we're thinking is like, there's so many different ways games launch nowadays and so many different forms that they take as they get updated and like where you come into the conversation and how you do that and what people are most interested in is just like a thing we're constantly looking at and constantly trying to improve um, so like a, a good example of this is like sp- annual sports games, right? We have seen interest in annual sports games reviews sort of diminishing year over mm. year, generally speaking. And so we're thinking about like, you know, what form should those take, right? Like what, what is the best, what are, what are people most interested in with those reviews? If, if they're not necessarily interested in just like, another review of a similar but slightly different version of this game every year like well what wh- how could we better serve those people and those fans and what do they want to know and what does that look like right and that's not necessarily like a project it's just like one of the things we're thinking about because again we think about this stuff a lot <laughs> um and and just trying to trying to keep up because games and how they're released are changing so frequently right and you know, you have games that release in early access and then never leave, or you have games that release in early access and then leave early access three months later because they were just testing something out. You know, it, it's it's there's trying to keep up with all of that and trying to come up with formats that are consistent and have a good voice across that and useful to our readers consistently is is tricky and it's something we're constantly reevaluating. Yeah, that makes sense that there's no easy answer, but um, appreciate the always uh, reevaluation of the scenario. I know even last year, like you mentioned with sports games, that uh, review codes weren't sent out for Madden before it was out. Um, because like you said, I, I feel like when it comes to games like that, there's often people who just, they know they're going to buy it every year or they're on an every two or every three year cadence. And it doesn't really matter what, you know, exactly the review coverage looks like. So uh, I'll, I'd excited to follow you know whatever comes from how you all cover sports games going forward yeah and to be clear we don't we like haven't figured out the answer yet you know like yeah. it's, it's just a thing that we are trying to think about and because you know if 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 it's not if that sort of scored annual review is not useful to those fans anymore then like or not not useful but you know is diminishing in use then mm-hmm. like we should we should give them something that they actually care about or care more about, you know, and figure out how to do that. Yeah. Not about not is this review at all useful, but what about this review is most helpful or the information from this most valuable. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, uh, Caitlin, any other review questions before we move on to our closing real time strategy segment? 
I don't think so. I think we can we can close it out. All right. Well, one review I'm looking forward to from IGN, although I guess not under Tom's department, is a review of Netflix's Avatar The Last Airbender. Uh, it's coming up February 22nd. We got a new trailer for it late last week. And Tom, we, we know from your review of an Avatar game uh, that came out last year that you're a fan of the franchise. Uh, first off, starting there, like... How deep does your love lore for the show go? Did you watch it back when it was airing in the 2000s? Oh, yeah, I watched it. I watched it when it was first going and I've rewatched it multiple times. I've seen Korra as well. And yeah, so I'm I'm a big, big fan of this universe um, and this world. And I'm just just gritting my teeth in anticipation of this. <laughs> <laughs> it, not not to like write it off or anything. Um, but I just like, you know, we've had one live action misfire with Avatar <laughs> and, uh, it, 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 it's just, I just don't know, you know, like I don't want it. I don't want to be hopeful. It's just, I've been burned already. Oh, <laughs> I'd I, like to keep I my expectations you. low. I, I feel like my expectations have been very low, but every time I see just a little bit more of the show, I get a little bit more excited, especially with yeah. like this last trailer. I feel like uh, we're watching clips right now. Daniel Day Kim as Lord Ozai is perfect casting. Like I cannot wait to see more of him. But what I like really love that the trailer has shown is I think they've really got the interactions between um, Aang, Ka- Katara, and Zuko. Not Zuko. I'm sorry. I'm t- Sokka having a seizure today. Um, they're like that whole group dynamic. They like really got the, the easy flow with the three of them. I'm curious to see when they like introduce Toph and, and then introduce Zuko into the mix, like how all of those actors will get along. But I think the, the chemistry is there between the trio. And that's like, I mean, one, the heart of the original series really is the three of them. So as of from what I've seen so far, I really think they're nailing that. Um, and it just looks really good, but I'm with you. We have been burned before, so I am like <laughs> hopeful, but a little, a little weary as well. Yeah. And, and also like Netflix's track record with animated show at live action adaptations <laughs> has been hit and miss. Right. Like I, yeah. I'm, I don't mean that to say like, I don't mean that sarcastically, like, you know, the, uh, One Piece show was really fun. The, um, excuse me, I'm blanking on the name. Sp- Cowboy Bebop show was like rougher, mm-hmm. right? Like, so they've they've had these moments where like they've done this before where it's gone well and they've done this before and it hasn't. And like, I, I just don't know what to think yet, right? This trailer, like you said, it looks really cool. The actors who they picked seem really like quality but i just like Mm -hmm. that doesn't necessarily translate to something that is gonna like make me happy it exists i guess yeah (laughs) especially knowing like they they have to change the the narrative slightly just to account for the actors aging because netflix hasn't greenlit additional Hmm. series so even from when this was shot all of those actors that were young teenagers are now like 14 7 now 17 years old like they are aging, so I know the the creators thought about that when making this first season. So mm. I don't I don't think the the comet is a thing in this first season. Um, I'm not sure if it won't ever be, but they've just 
the story is a little bit different. Um, but we know sure. like that's that's typical when you're changing mediums and or mediums. Yeah, I mean, it goes from animation to live action. I'll count that as a change of medium, but it'll be. I'm I'm curious to see how they've tackled that. What's different? Yeah, I'm with you both. Like like Tom said, for every Yu Yu Hakusho in uh, One Piece, there's a, a Death Note or a, a Cowboy Bebop. I was just going to so. say, there's a Death Note. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm willing to give it the benefit of the doubt, but of course, like the uphill battle that this show has was that the creators left like halfway through it. So there's, you know, there's just the right. question of like, what happened behind the scenes? Like what about, you know, maybe it was just scheduling or other priorities and wanting to do something else, but naturally that is going to make fans a bit skeptical when the, you know, the people that gave us this thing that we love so much in the first place aren't involved in the retelling or remaking of it. But, um, <laughs> it, it was easy to write off when that's all we knew about it. But like Caitlin said, every time we see it, I'm like, okay, maybe there's, maybe it will be at the very least be a fun um, exercise as a lot of these like live action remakes are in seeing, you know, characters and creatures and storylines we love so much just done in a, a new format, even if it doesn't add much to it. So uh, I think we'll just have to wait and see there. Any other thoughts on Avatar or the Netflix Avatar show before we close for the week? Um, my last, this is, so this is a hot take. Maybe I shouldn't end with this, but my, my <laughs> final thought on all of those Netflix things is like, I just, I don't want them to, I don't, I don't want them <laughs> like, <laughs> like with no offense to any of the people who are making them and absolutely not writing this show off as maybe being bad. I just like, I think there's something that animation can do that live action has a lot of trouble with. Mm -hmm. And it causes the translations of these stories to have a very like have a big uphill battle. And I I think that they can just live as animation. Like I think that there are some people or executives out there who think that cartoon shows are like not the final form of an art and that they can't like they're somehow lesser because they're a kid's thing and that they're not like fully formed until they're live action. And I just reject that idea completely and think that a one season TV show of, a, of an anime is like one of the peak forms of entertainment for me. And, and it doesn't need to be live action, I guess that's, that's all. No, I, I know that that could be seen as a hot take. I'm with you, Tom. I don't quite understand like the Disney machine pumping like those out on the film side, you know, like with little mermaid last year. Um, right. And, yeah, like the the because the kind of what I was getting at, maybe not brave enough to say, but thank you for opening the door for let me to say this. Like, <laughs> I think the best thing this can be, or any of these can be, is like, oh, a fun way to see something you know we've already seen in a in a new way. Like, I don't like it will never supplant it. It will never be the superior version. Um, a just because. The, the you know we, we have such fondness for the story it was told itself but like you said just the medium affords a sense of wonder and adventure and like set pieces that are just often just financially not feasible in live action um yeah but i don't know or look Maybe, a little hokey in yeah. with a animation or whatever right like yeah. you'd have to spend so much money to get appa to look like really perfect right whereas mm -hmm. appa as a drawing just looks great 
Um, so it's just it's just a really big uphill battle, and I wish all the people making them the best. I don't. I want you to like keep making them if you're making them, but like I just <laughs> don't need them to exist. If I if that makes yeah. sense. <laughs> I'm no. I I would agree with that. Even if I'm like, oh, I think a lot of it looks good. Ultimately, I would love some original animated animation shows, but there's right. this war on animation when it comes to some studios right now. So it's this is. This is what Netflix and the studios are deeming as popular and what's going to make them money. And we'll see. I'm but I hope it's fun. But yeah. Hope it's fun. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, as I'm sure some of these executives know, like this will probably be like my parents' first exposure to Avatar The Last Airbender because, mm. you know, they, they do tend to skip on the animation. But, you know, Netflix live action original series or, you know, adaptation series, uh, They'll check out, so I guess at the very least they'll have viewers there, <laughs> and I hope they like it. <laughs> oh well, for now, uh, Tom, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was a blast talking about you with about Avatar and all things IGN reviews. Where can the people find you? Uh, listening to this episode, uh, if you just Google Tom Marks IGN, you'll find my author page, which has all of my videos, all of my reviews. Doesn't have the stuff I've edited, but you know that's the role of an editor is behind the scenes. Um, you can find me on at Tom R Marks on Twitter too, but I try not to go there very often. I think I'm at Tom R Marks on other platforms as well. Uh, but yeah, perfect. We'll link to that author page in the description of this episode. We'll also link to Travis Northrup's. Uh, Power World, Travis Northup's uh, Power World review, which we were showing earlier in this episode. We'll also link to The Last of Us Part 2 coverage, as well as whatever Suicide Squad things. We're recording this on Monday. Whatever, However that story has evolved since Wednesday, we'll, we'll include the latest in the description. You can find this show everywhere at Realtime Strats. Email us at podcast at triplepointpr.com. You can find me everywhere at Sam Scott Mosier. Find Caitlin everywhere at Caitlin Red Wing. And until next week, thank you all so much for listening. Thanks, everyone. So long.